Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Plus, check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. And welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 205. Say, All-Star Celebrity Bowling next week has Team Geek and Sundry with Felicia Day and Veronica Belmont and Jeff Lewis and Kim Eby battling Team Nerdist. All-Star Celebrity Bowling, youtube.com slash Nerdist. Click subscribe. Say, guys, come out and see Matt, Jonah, and I live May 25th uh, going on during Phoenix Comic Con. Nerdist Podcast live in Phoenix, Arizona. Also, June 2nd, we're going to be at Club Nokia, Los Angeles. It's right before E3. A lot of exciting ways to put Nerdist into your face holes. I'm guessing you're an active nerdy person on the go. Uh, Have you tried Go To My PC by Citrix? They are a sponsor for this episode of Nerdist Podcast. You can access your entire Mac or PC. You can work on any program, save, edit, send any file from anywhere. No matter where you are. You can even do it from your iPhone if you want to. Listen, it's convenient, it's reliable, it's easy to use, sets up in just minutes. What can I do with that, Chris Hardwick? Fine, maybe you need to edit a PowerPoint, update a spreadsheet, print out a document, work on a file, and all you have is your iPhone. Now you can do it with GoToMyPC. These apps are a lifesaver when you're away from the office. You can access your entire computer in your pocket. There's a special 30-day free trial just for Nerdist listeners. It's GoToMyPC.com, click the Try It Free button, and enter the promo code NERDIST. Then download the free app on your iPad or your iPhone. That's gotomypc.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast has my friend Kara Santa Maria. Uh, she is a delightful smarty pants. Senior science correspondent and host of Talk Nerdy to Me for the Huffington Post. Uh, we worked together a couple years ago. We did the Talk Nerdy to Me pilot for HBO and uh, became pals. She's awesome, super smart. And I think helping to break old stereotypes of what a scientist can be. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed this episode. She's so much fun to talk to, and uh, I hope you enjoy it too. It's the Nerdist Podcast, episode number 205, with Cara Santa Maria. Science! Now entering Nerdist.com.
I've pressed record. Guys, stop talking shit. We we are now being captured digitally onto compact disc. Kara Santa Maria is a woman of science, so I think she'll agree that what's happening right now is that our souls are escaping our mouths mm-hmm. <laughs> and being trapped in the digital universe of technology. I feel I feel hollow every time we record because a little <laughs> me gets trapped inside just, that digital box. It just come out, and I just feel like, where'd I go? Where'd I go? And then I hear my voice, and it's like a demon. Yeah, and I'm just standing on the edge of the universe, just staring back at myself. I think black hole is just a big old mirror. <laughs> That's what it is. Skewed mirror, man. Big skewed mirror. Uh, we could talk about these things with Kara Santa Maria, who is the uh, you are the you are the Lord of Science at the Huffington. I'm the Lord of Science. I don't think you're allowed to use the term Lord when it comes to science. Well, Jesus Christ said, <laughs> and it's documented. <laughs> that she is the Lord of Science. She is Lord of Science. It's in the Bible. You just got to read between the lines, man. Um, Come on. It's totally there. <laughs> Cara Santa Maria, uh, it's lovely to have you here. I, I am so excited that you're doing so many wonderful things. Aw. We hosted a show together, Jonah. Uh, actually, it was Kara's show, and I was a correspondent on the show. Um, it was called Talk Nerdy to Me for HBO. It was a pilot that, uh, despite the quirky name really was a pretty serious show about uh, about science and our culture. Yeah, except for Chris's part. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the uh, I went to the Page Museum ac- across the street from the building that we're in right now. Yeah. Um and uh, what was it? oh it was the evolution of of basically the evolution of wolves into Wolverine? The, yeah, mm-hmm. into, into Wolverine. Yeah. And about how the government spent a half a billion dollars to make him indestructible. Yeah. yeah, And then they couldn't hold on to him. I mean, why would you think you could? That's the human spirit, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> and just about how basically these, you know, these wild, these wild dogs became pets that we put booties and leather jackets on. Um, <laughs> and then we kind of drew this comparison between, you know, like the symbiotic relationship between man and dog and, and how they helped us you know, in a in a Darwinian way, I suppose, yeah. uh, survive the survive the elements. Was it the journey of man's mo- best enemy to man's best friend? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's what it was. Just like yeah, yeah. the plot of the film Enemy Mine. Yes, or the Gray. Mm-hmm. But I think the most scientific part of of Chris's segment was when he asked the dog expert at the Page Museum whether or not he could fuck a chimp and get it pregnant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the. Legitimate question. <laughs> I asked it seriously. You did. You did. But then do you remember your follow-up? No. <laughs> you, you were like, you know what that means. And she oh, yeah. You. you raised up your hand. No condoms. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I ended up turning that into a bit in my set. <laughs> that was born on the pilot that we did with you. How long yeah. ago was that? Oh, wow. Like a year and a half ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. It was July of 2010. You have a good memory. I have an okay memory. I'm trusting that it was July. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah, it was. Memory. It was summer. Summer of 2010. Me and Chris were hanging out a lot during that time, and I don't remember this. We <laughs> talked about. Well, maybe I don't tell you about everything, Jonah. I have a life, man, <laughs> that involves science and dogs and chimps. chimps. <laughs> but, um, Kara, you, uh, you're, you're very. I, I, I'm so interested in in you and your work and and what you do because. Uh, you, I mean, obviously it's, I mean, I guess it's maybe you don't think of it as being a thing, but you look like this total punk rock chick and you're a a brilliant scientist. And so it's sort of, uh, you know, it's nice because 
I feel like it sets an example for young people of like, you know, science, like you don't have to fit a certain mold to be smart or to, to, to be a scientist. Yeah. And I mean, I think the truth is that a lot more scientists look like me than look like kind of the idea that we have in our heads of the old dude in the lab coat with the white hair. I mean, I think that's kind of an old guard idea. And even though a lot of those people still exist, you know, young people are filling the labs and these are the grad students, the postdocs and the young scientists. And a lot of them have tattoos or piercings or, you know, whatever. There's this great um, Tumblr out right now called This Is What a Scientist Looks Like. And it's just a bunch of cool young kids that like send in a picture and a description of their work and they're just all over the place. So yeah. you don't you don't actually get you don't get your PhD and then instantly you just start to wither and you... <laughs> Well I wouldn't know because I dropped out before I got my PhD. Oh <laughs> shit fake scientist fake scientist I'm a science dropout. I studied enough. <laughs> it's just like someone who doesn't want to get married. Why do I need a piece of paper yeah. that says yeah, right. it's so archaic to have to need that, you know? Yeah, it's like I can learn from life, man. <laughs> what did you? What did you? Where'd you go to school, and what'd you major in, and what what was your field of study? What'd you almost major in? Yeah, right. No. <laughs> well, she so, majored in something. She's thinking a PhD. <laughs> so I did my undergrad um, in Texas, where I grew up in psychology with a philosophy minor, and then while I was working on that degree, I decided that kind of the science component of psychology was really interesting. I was really interested in learning what brain activity was underlying the behavior I was learning about. And I realized that my degree didn't really cover that very well. And I was mostly learning a lot of like bullshit hypotheses and Freudian psychology and things I wasn't that into. And so I stuck around at that university, at the University of North Texas, and I got a master's in neurobiology so that I could kind of... <laughs> so I stuck around yeah, and got around, a... Yeah. You know, I hung around and got a master's in neurobiology. Yeah, I stuck around community college to get a pottery degree. <laughs> dated a potter once. <laughs> True story. Um, so yeah, I stuck around and I, I did my master's um, so that I could kind of better understand that relationship between brain and behavior. And then I, I taught for a year after I finished my master's and, and then I moved to New York to start a PhD in clinical neuropsychology. But um, I don't know. I don't think the department was for me. I was really struggling in New York City. It was a really tough move for somebody who had been growing up in Texas. I was really poor, Really poor. And, and New York City is a great city for that, right? Yeah. For being poor, yeah. Yeah, wonderful. exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You live off of nuts from the street. Yep. <laughs> and I didn't, like, really, I mean, no offense to people who lived in Queens. I did live in New York City, but I didn't live in the city, you right. know? Yeah. And so, and I was broke, so I didn't get to get out to the city that often. And I was just struggling and working really hard, teaching a lot of classes. And I realized, too, as I was doing this, that... You know, when it comes down to it, a graduate student has three main duties. We are supposed to take our required courses so that we can graduate. We are supposed to do our dissertation. You know, we've got to do a full research project in the lab so that you can finish your dissertation. And then you teach. And not all graduate students teach, but those of us who are really, really poor, we teach. And most people do it for money. And I kind of realized as I was in grad school that I found myself wanting to be in the classroom a lot more than I wanted to be in the lab. And I mean, I don't know, maybe I was an okay scientist, but I don't really think that that's what I was best at doing. I really enjoyed the experience of teaching and helping get inside of my students' heads and figure out how to help them figure out these problems in science. And so that transition to science communication, I don't think was a big leap for me. 
um, to kind of get out of doing the bench work, which is obviously something that I admire and something that I I really respect in a lot of lab scientists, but I don't think I was that good at it. So get away from doing the bench work and get more into, you know, expanding the classroom and just being able to communicate science to an audience that, you know, is not in the bubble. So this might be a dumb question, so I apologize. Uh, it, so all of these things that we come to understand as the psychology of our behavior, is it is it really much more physiological than we realize? Well, so I am, you know, there's like an old philosophical argument between dualism and monism. And um, some for people, uh, idiot listeners you know, that don't so, know what those mean, so, could you, uh, Roger so, Ponism, <laughs> Ponin Monism, right? That was from that song. Totally, <laughs> that song, yeah, that's yeah, where I got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the, the, the idea would be that a monist believes or thinks that the brain and the mind is the same thing, and a dualist believes or thinks that there is brain and there is mind, and these are two separate entities. And it, it's kind of an old school way of thinking, but a lot of a lot of modern, not a lot, some modern philosophers still hold on to that kind of old way of thinking. But most modern neuroscientists really are are monists at heart, and we see the mind as being the manifestation of brain, but mm -hmm. really they're two sides of the same coin. Sure. So it, obviously there is an experiential um, experience. Oh my God, that's so redundant. Um, there's <laughs> a, Obviously you experience things and, and those things that you experience have a feedback loop and they, they shape how your brain works. They shape both its structure and its function. But the idea of mind is really something that is born out of brain. I mean, I personally don't believe in a soul. But I'm an atheist. Are all the things that make a person human, are they just accidental qualities? Are they just sort of the accidental ha happenstance, I guess, of, of the way that our brains evolve? Like, oh, and we kind of have this awareness, but that wasn't really... Yeah, you know, that's like the probably the hardest question in neuroscience is this idea of basically consciousness and where does consciousness come from? Because it's not really something we can grab. Consciousness really isn't tangible and it's really hard to measure. We can look at extremes of consciousness, like we can see what happens when somebody is rendered unconscious sure. you know, through anesthesia or something. Um, but to be conscious and to be aware, we can kind of compare ourselves to animals, but it's really hard to get an animal to tell you what they're thinking because they can't talk. And that's another one of those You need to call Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> he will tell you. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's another one of those fundamental things that kind of sets us apart is, you know, whether it's self-awareness, contemplation of death, the ability to, um, have language, uh, they call it symbolic interactionism. So being able to label specific things in our environment with words, for example, or to use, um, math, you right. know, that's a very human construct, but it seems to be a natural construct. We can, we can explain the world through math, but we still had to develop that as people. And our ability to use math didn't make any sense evolutionarily before, you know, modern times. There's no need to be able to quantify something specifically. We, you know, the difference between like lots and few was kind of enough for us. <laughs> well, yeah, but in olden times, in the, in the, in prehistoric times, you would go to work at the quarry <laughs> and you would come home to your well, wife and first, pet dinosaur. First, your boss would have to pull yeah. the tail of the bird. Of the bird, yeah. 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 And then... You'd ride your dinosaur home. All yeah. the way, all the way down. Your into, Jesus horse. Yeah. Jesus horse, yeah. <laughs> he wrote him, man. He wrote him. <laughs> mm, I had a coloring book that told me so. Yeah. 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 
I trust that. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. Why, do, why do you think that's, you know, I, I really, I hate to take the podcast into religious waters because sure then pe- people always, you know, that, well, they just sort of like, not all, not all people. I, I'm not judging anyone. The creationist thing to me is like, but really, yeah. Like, I mean, like, why choose that? That just seems like. I mean, and again, it's because I don't believe it, so it's easier for me to say, well, that seems ridiculous to me. Well, because it is. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Like, yeah. I, I say all the time when people ask me, because as somebody who communicates science, you can't avoid a conversation about religion, and a lot of the pieces that I write for the Huffington Post, um, for my column are, you know, they're, they're science pieces and they're, they're rational pieces. And I'll get hate mail that says, you know, you are a soldier in Satan's army. Like, that's not <laughs> uncommon. And I've never said anything about religion in my piece. But because I'm trying to explain things using evidence and I'm trying to explain things that are tangible, you know, in the real world, and I'm not trying to say, well, just have faith and, you know, we'll figure it out later, um, people get upset with me. And I, I think that... I I do want to make the point, though, that I don't think that religion per se and science are, um, like, can't exist together, (laughs) that they're mutually exclusive, but but fundamentalism or creationism and science definitely are. Right. I mean, creationism, a, a literal translation of the Bible is... That 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 text was written long before science was a thing. Well, it was written when when science, politics, and religion were all the same thing. Yeah. And when Jesus turned water into wine. Yeah. That's when it was written. And yeah. I had a party. <laughs> and you know, there was no way to to test whether or not the things that were written in the book could have happened because the scientific method hadn't really been dreamt up by people. Well, and also you're talking about a period of time where there were uh, where. You know, there were clusters of tribes who were all vying for superiority. And so there, there was a lot of piecemealing of like, oh, they believe that, you know, they believe in multiple gods. So we'll believe in one or we'll believe in this guy or this. This is an angry guy. You know, like mm-hmm. it was a lot of vying for for supremacy, basically. Yeah, yeah and, that, that was huge. And, and, oral, and oral tradition and stories that were handed down for, you know, centuries before before it even got to a page. Yeah, which is why yeah. you see themes like recapitulated to time. You know, to like, essentially control illiterate masses and go, hey, this thing I'm holding that you can't read says if you don't follow it, you're fucking gonna... Like, to threaten people with the idea of eternal damnation, like the one... Like, the the, the only sort of forever concept they yeah. could scare people with. Yeah. Especially the more modern kind of Judeo-Christian, Muslim, like, trifecta. Um, you you do see a lot more of that than I think some of the older um, religions. But, but when it comes down to it, I think religion and science, honestly, in a sense, aim to do the same thing, which is to describe and explain the, the world that we live in or the universe that we live in. You know, why am I here? Where am I going? How did all of, you know, am I special as compared to some, you know, other cluster of molecules in the distant reaches of, of the cosmos. Um, the issue is that now we have the tools to try and explain those things through through evidence-based approaches and we can actually get data. Whereas in the past, we, we didn't know how to do that. And so uh, good religion, I think, can, can adapt as the science comes out there. And I think bad religion... The band. The band, the band yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> Which, Los way, Angeles like is my, burning. One of my favorite bands. Um, <laughs> Suffer. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd always, it always, it always makes American, American, American Jesus. We're doing top charts now. We're doing top charts. You know, um, I, 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 
I it it just no matter what, it's always a, a topic that makes people's assholes slam shut. Totally. I, I had a bit in my act and I always really wanted to make it work and I could never quite I just could never sell it to the audience properly. Is that the one you say just fuck religion and spike the mic? Yeah, it just, it just didn't have a punch. Right at the top of my act. Yeah, it was, it was a weird place. Nowhere to go from yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um but I but basically um you know, I would say, listen, I have nothing against religious people. I have I have friends who are very who are very religious, and I don't hold I don't begrudge them that. But in science v religion, I always go science because throughout history, religion has constantly had to ebb its definitions to account for scientific discovery, and that has never happened in reverse. Yeah, where you would never turn on the Discovery Channel. The bit here's the, and now here's the bit part I'm going to do at you. Um, uh, which I apologize for being a comic. It's just the way I am sometimes. And action. But the bit part is is me going, and you've never turned on the Discovery Channel and had them say, well, we used to think that the moon was held in place by the Earth's gravitational pull, but now we know a giant bearded man blows on it, <laughs> which he does to keep away from the sun, which research now suggests is a pack of angry fire horses. <laughs> uh, and, you know, so I think, it, but it's still, even, even kind of knowing that, it still makes people uh, very, very uncomfortable when you talk. I it. don't. I, I I grew up going to Catholic school, and I me talked too. to I talked to other people who went to. And me and Chris have a lot of the same uh, thoughts on this stuff. Is just that I have a, I have a hard time talking to someone that was raised Catholic or any kind of religion that doesn't grow to resent it. And yeah. I, I don't understand like why, as you grow as an adult, you don't start to question it more and resent it for the things that you like. It, it messed me up, and it messed up a lot of our friends. I think. Well, it's weird because there's this bizarre hierarchy of mythology that we all. As we're children, we're you know we're handed by by adults. Mm -hmm. There's the Easter Bunny. There's Santa Claus. Uh, there's you know Smurfs or whatever sort <laughs> yeah. of anything you want to believe. Yeah. There's God. Uh, and then at a certain point, they all just start falling away. But then as a teenager, you're sort of left with, but how come that one? Yeah. And then but then how is that different from all the mythology that we learned in Greek and Roman Shut mythology? Shut up and eat your dinner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because My they thought they. They pretty firmly believed that there was a pantheon of, but they were wrong. So then how is like, yeah. and they just go, oh, well, well, we figured out that this was the actual. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, a common cliche, I think that atheists throw out there is kind of, you know, we're all monotheistic or whatever. We, we just go one step further. You know, it's like, you don't believe in any of those other gods. We just yeah. don't believe in yours. We, we're, we're the, we're the evolution where it's like, we've been weeding it out. Uh, yeah. Generation after generation. Used to, be, Yahweh, used to be hundreds yeah. of gods. Uh -huh, then about exactly. five again, gods. You know, fuck, I don't, I don't know what's what. I can't say with a hundred percent certainty, but I was a philosophy major. Sure. And, and so it's difficult for me to say anything with a hundred percent certainty. Mm -hmm. because, Same with scientists. Scientists are very careful with their language about that. That's because that's what they teach Because it can change. Of course. Right? Of course it's, it's it can change. Um, going back to what you guys were saying you were raised Catholic. I was actually raised Mormon. Hey, yeah. Whoa. And my family's still very Mormon, or half of them are. And so that was a fun, interesting experience. And it's interesting to me to look back and see how many of those kids that I grew up with are still, you know, really, really mm. Mormon. Yeah. Because they're always smiling. Always smiling. The Those nicest, Mormons are the nicest, nicest people. people. Nicest people. <laughs> yeah. I know. Just a big cherry red yeah. smile. Especially outside of the home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My dad recently got into a place in his life where he like he was upset. You know, he was we were talking about religion. He's like, I just can't believe it. it's like all they do is just make you so scared. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, he's he's you know in his sixties now and he's realizing all the stuff that's kind of messed up about it and it took yeah. him that long but it's, it was still really neat to hear him say well, that. Well I always just think like you know spirituality is just sort of an innate thing that I think we seek mm -hmm. because it's you know with with this kind of accidental consciousness that we have 
I feel like if we didn't feel connected to something, then we would just be like, eh, fuck it, who gives a shit? You know, yeah. like, there has to, you know, but like Reggie Watts has a really great idea of, you know, why can't the spirituality be in the science? Like, you know, the deeper you yeah. go and the, you know, on, on quantum levels, like why, what, like he says that, that's what's beautiful. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. where there's real spirituality. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. I mean, I think that anybody who has read or has, uh, has read Carl Sagan or who has watched the Cosmo series really gets a good handle, um, especially from him of this awe that's inspired this almost religious experience when you're kind of gazing up at the cosmos and when you're trying to really understand our place in in the universe which is um you know maybe we're not that special after all but to really try and grasp that vastness can become something of a religious experience i even have a tattoo on my ribs of a quote from carl sagan that says we are a way for the cosmos to know itself and, and to me, that's like a really beautiful idea that we have consciousness. We have evolved this consciousness. And of course, I don't believe that there is any sort of superior, um, you know, all-knowing being that exists outside of ourselves. Um, that's a different question than whether or not there's life. That's John Hodgman. The, he's yeah. the one. Yeah, he's, he's, that, he's that being. Yeah. <laughs> but so this idea that because we can kind of contemplate on our own existence and because we are made of the same stuff, as the stars, we were basically produced in the Big Bang in this um, beautiful kind of nuclear furnace and we're made of star stuff. In essence, those molecules that we use to be able to contemplate our own existence is, you know, can be translated to the universe contemplating itself. And, 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 and also, I mean, you know, I feel like humanity almost in a weird way has to be as, (laughs) as narcissistic as it is in order to, in order to strive to keep going and to, to, you know, like the idea of like, oh, we're so special, yeah. you know, yeah, um, that it is, you know, and, and, but just the idea that, uh, you know, that today's, well, I don't know how, why this, ex- why this happened or tomorrow's like, here's why this mm-hmm. happened. So, you know, when you get into the, when you get into the arguments of, um, you know, like intelligent design and you read anything about uh, irreducible complexity yeah. or stuff like that. And they go, well, this can't be reduced anymore. You're like, well, y- you know, they, they, you know, a, a thousand years ago, they would look at a frog and go, well, that's as, that's as simple as that's going to get. Yeah. <laughs> it's frog all the way through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it's just like, that's yeah, so true. You know, I mean, and, and even, but their arguments aren't even valid most of the time. Like when they talk about the eye, being this like perfect kind of um, uh, model and that that it's so complex and, and it could never have evolved from there's like a million transitional um, uh, species there's a million things that we can see along the way where it's like oh it has an eye spot and it can only recognize light or dark oh and now it develops a lens and so it can start to have focal length and there's I don't know where they get this from like all eyes look <laughs> like human eyes it's like they forgot to read any deeper past chapter one if we were perfect beings we would not have back problems we would not have to wipe our asses totally. I honestly mm. think that ass wiping is an argument against uh, is an argument against creationism. It's like, we're not perfect beings. Yes. Yeah. Like, we're not, we're, you know, the human body is uh, is is pretty, like, kind of feels like slapdash. Like, well, <laughs> yeah. we sort of, you know, the fact that we have to wipe our asses is a weird thing. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that we have back problems and the fact that, you know, that it, it, it 
it just doesn't seem like, oh, we always walked upright. I don't know. It, yeah. it, it just and, and the issue is, too, that I think what happens is that, like, as lay people, oftentimes what we do, and I fucking hate that term. I'm going to change that. As people who, you know, maybe didn't study science and, and aren't um, highly scientifically literate. I really like lay people. Lay people. <laughs> lay people. Yeah. Not like Frito people. Frito people? Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll go with that. Okay. For the rest, for the rest of the hour. So, with, for the Frito, Frito so for the Fritos. Yeah, for the Fritos. Um, you know, we're kind of, we're looking at these issues sort of from the outside and we're looking at the conclusions that have been drawn and then we're trying to say after the fact, well, well, this doesn't seem to sit right with evolution or this doesn't seem to sit right with intelligent design. But anybody who kind of starts at the most fundamental level and then goes through and learns about um, about cellular biology and genetic material and um, and paleontology and evolutionary biology, and you look in all of, the, all of these different fields, you can't deny that evolution is the case. Like when you just look at the DNA of an organism, evolution is the only reasonable answer because you can see conserved portions of that DNA that reflect every organism that came before us, evolutionarily speaking. I mean, right. when you compare the DNA of a chimp to a human, that's the only reasonable explanation, is that we had a common ancestor however many years back. And then if you compare a human to a dog, and you see, well, what percent of the DNA is conserved there? And then you compare a human to a banana, and then you compare a human to a, you know, a mushroom. And going all the way back to bacteria, you can see that branching tree start to come together. You don't even have to look past the DNA to really understand this. And then when you look at the fossil evidence, it's like a huge slap in the face. Like, how can you deny it? And that's another reason my I'm, I'm like showing off all my tattoos today. I have this tattoo on my forearm that I very proudly bear of Archaeopteryx lithographica, which is... Oh, wow. Um, yeah, you know him. The winged dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, it's a winged dinosaur. Some people I'm call familiar it a, with Archaeopteryx. Right, right. Some people call him a dinosaur and some people call him a bird. Pterodactyl. Yeah, I get it. It's not a not pterodactyl. Not a dinosaur. Yep. Also, pterodactyl, not a dinosaur. Flying reptile. Just have to correct you there. <laughs> Big flying dinosaur in the sky, man. <laughs> I know what I know. He's I know wrong. what I know and I believe that's in a pterodactyl. People, that's wrong. how people got around in the air before planes. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Come on. Um, but so this is like my fuck you to creationists that I like wear on my arm all the time because it's 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 so obvious. It's got features that are very dinosaur-like and features that are very bird-like. It is the prime example of a transitional fossil. And that's, the, that's that kind of irreducible complexity, like the other side of it, when they say, well, where's the transition between those? And well, where's the transition between those? And it's like, well, we kind of have a lot of those. Yeah. You're like, what... look, you just believe your thing and don't try to... And also, the, the Earth has been hit with asteroids and frozen over a couple times, and I'd imagine a lot of that evidence is lost. Well, also, you know what? Not many things actually fossilize like it's the smallest smallest percentage of like like things don't fossilize it, yeah. the, the 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 geological features and the weather and everything has to be just right the, the type of mud that it falls down into and it has to be trapped in such a way it's just so rare for something to actually be able to fossilize which is why a lot of times we have um descriptions of whole species based around like a hip and a tooth Right. You know, like yeah. we don't even have you go to a museum and you see a huge reconstruction of a dinosaur. It's important to actually look at the little picture in the front to see which bones are colored in. And it's which just ones like a, just like a piece yeah. of a lower jaw. Yeah. Yeah. And then they can build up this whole thing around it because they can compare it to all these other species. It's almost like Sudoku. Like where they go, <laughs> well, if the jaw was like this, then the face would have to be like this. And if the face were like mm -hmm. this, it would, then the head would probably be like this. And then the neck would be like this. And that would support you would need this kind of body to support that. Mm. 
And then and, and most of the time we're wrong. And right. so then we find some awesome piece of evidence, like a black feather that went along with Archaeopteryx. And we're like, holy crap, they were black. Like, how could we not have known that? Because we saw, like, these pigments in the feathers. Or or you see, you know, finally you get a tissue impression of of a different theropod, like a, like a Velociraptor-type creature. And you're like, holy shit, they were covered in feathers. And we never would have known that until we got this piece of evidence. Do you think Steven Spielberg is going to go back to uh, the original Jurassic Park and feather all the dinosaurs? I think so. I hope yeah. so. Kinda I also like hope George Lucas one. in the director's cut. Yeah. I also hope that he 3D's Jurassic Park. Like when they were talking about this big 3D movement, and James Cameron's talking about going back and doing Titanic. I remember being very like, "What the fuck, Jurassic <laughs> Park?" <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic, and still totally holds up. I love it. I love I it. Yeah, it's it's still really good when yeah, you watch yeah. it. I mean, it's because I think they did the smart thing using animatronics when CG wasn't where it needed to be to be able to do that movie well. So yeah. they didn't do CG, which I think was brilliant. I don't mind the sequels either don't mind them all right really yeah <laughs> i don't mind them there's just some great uh, action pieces uh, like in the second one where there's the trailer that's half off the cliff that's an exciting piece sure no dinosaurs are in that scene but <laughs> still uh still very so exciting you, you would have loved jurassic park if it was just about a family who got lost in their camper oh yeah <laughs> and there I were no dinosaurs it. yeah and it was just like them if trying it, to get if off if it was cliff. just the hills have eyes without any of the eyes i would uh, <laughs> yeah, just, the, just hills. the hills yeah but if i could just watch the, MTV, the hills you want to watch Lauren conrad yeah yeah exactly oh god this <laughs> <laughs> is <a> devolving <laughs> um why do you think now i mean even in our lifetimes um, the this sort of rush to fundamentalism has been um, pretty pretty substantial, and and I I trace a lot of it to 9/11, where people just shit their pants, and 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 a lot of people who maybe were borderline fundamentalists before were like, I need something really to believe in and hold on to, or I'm gonna fucking go crazy. Is that about Dennis Miller? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, baby, lean to the right now. Yeah. What am I, fucking uh, Pangea over here <laughs> on the fucking... Uh... Pangea reference. Yep, right. that's right. We're Laurasia and Gondwana. Laurasia! Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? Yes. what am I, Australopithecus afarensis <laughs> over here in my uh, otter God. pop bag? Um... Uh, oh, yeah. You know what? I was talking to Chris Mooney today because um, I was doing a piece on kind of left wing, right wing, left wing, left wing, right wing neuroscience and um, and ideology and kind of trying to look at the science between why people may be progressive or liberal or conservative. Um and I think it's an interesting question that actually does not have a clear answer because Chris, who wrote The Republican War on Science, um, his his kind of assertion is that personality, in a way, precedes ideology. He can actually demonstrate in a lot of cases that based on how people perform on specific personality tests, you can kind of guess what political persuasion they would have. And these are things that really we don't think of as being linked to politics. And so like there are whole structures around, you know, a liberal person may be more likely to have a messy bedroom and they're often, um, you know, it, it's, they like to operate within the gray area and they're less concrete. They're less authoritarian. They are more open to new experiences. And there's all these different things that you start to see come out between liberals and conservatives that aren't necessarily 
directly linked to ideology, like, you okay. know, I'm pro-gay marriage or I'm against gay marriage and this and that and this and that. And, but they'd all seem to line up quite nicely. Interesting. And so it could be that there is both an ideological um, component that we're taught by our parents, that we're taught by society, that maybe is firmed up one way or another depending on our reactions to big events like 9-11. But also it seems like there may be some things that are kind of just fundamental to who people are that may make them more conservative by nature. Well, well, people are and more liberal by nature. Even 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 though like the '80s were the Reagan era, mm -hmm. I feel like people are more socially conservative now. Or larger numbers of people are more socially conservative now than they were before. Just about freaking out about you know content or uh, just being super uh, super tense. I think it's <laughs> yeah. I think it's because of what what Reagan was doing was you know kind of idealizing the uh, fifty the idea of the '50s of just like you know a very nice America, a very clean cut America, and then not for women. and then like now, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I like, mean, now, listen, not not for everybody. Oh, yeah. you know, like, for, that, for a section of people, but, yeah, a section of people. But then now <laughs> the, he was doing that. He was idealizing it, but it wasn't really the case at the time. But now that like enough time, twenty years or so, has passed since Reagan. Now people are reminiscing and idealizing. His idealization of an American, I think that's what's just magnifying it. <laughs> the even ideal eighties, oh god, exactly. Because <laughs> like, they're, they're like they're looking at his, and they're like, no, we can now. It's right, you yeah. know. Now it's that we can do it even better. Yeah, and, and I sometimes wonder too. You know, it, it, we can sit here and say now more than ever, it seems like people are so much. And and I do hear that from from people who are much older than me. So it may be true, but it's also hard to know when you read. You know textbooks or you read novels or things and you try to get an idea of what the the you know a sense of what the times were 20 years ago 50 years ago not being there and not having that context kind of makes me wonder if if maybe people weren't having very similar struggles maybe but I, but but I but I I look you know the the social stratum of comedy mm -hmm. is very is very telling like what what society is kind of dealing with or what they're able to handle and, you know, I feel like um, even, even like 20 years ago, you know, they're just I don't know. It just like comedy just felt a little looser. Yeah. And now it, there, there's so much around it where people, yeah, people just, are much more uptight. We have, you know, much more kind of politically correct, more kind of interest groups that we have to be careful about, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But um, I'm sure that's difficult as a comedian. Well, but, no. But the amount of, like, you know, internet and, like, the websites and mm -hmm. uh, all the 24-hour news cycles, now, like, you just hear everybody. That's I mean, the, everyone's yeah, always been just as upset. But now you hear them all. But but there is a question of whether or not, and I've kind of discussed this when I've done some political shows before, which I am by no means an expert, but I have a fucking opinion, um, <laughs> that, that it does seem like that kind of moderate post, you know, the middle of the road, has been moving farther and farther to the right. Mm -hmm. and, and it may just be the case that the right is becoming more and more batshit. You know, and, and more and more vocal about their bad shit. And the left is having to kind of push harder. You know, they say sometimes, you know, I think I saw it on Colbert. I've seen it on on Jon Stewart. And I think it's become kind of a cliche now when people say, does science have a liberal bias? And it's like, well, no, reality has a liberal bias. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just the case that when you really try to understand the world that you are living in, I think a lot of the things that liberals see as being important ideologically are in line. I mean, there's a reason that most scientists are relatively progressive and 
not religious. I used to think the same thing about, uh, I, I grew up being in punk bands and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And all of our friends, I thought we all kind of had very similar ideals. Just everyone's welcome. You know, like we had gay friends and, uh, and everyone was kind of like left leaning. We even had like a, you know, a couple of our friend group was like guys in the military, but they were very much liberals and just kind of, you know, they were just in the military. Uh, and one of our group of friends is this guy whose parents were Christian, but as, as we like talked to him and as we grew older, um, he just became very conservative, very right wing, uh, very much, much more, uh, religious. And I remember thinking that that didn't make sense to me because I was like, no, we're all like, we listen to these bands. We play these, these songs that have this message and, and you're playing along with us and you're buying the same records and going to the same shows. But now you don't believe in any of it. Yeah. And I was always very confused by that. Like you think that the, the, his socio, uh, his social climate would influence the way he would be for the rest of his life. But there may be something in there. It's, it's really weird to me when people change like that. Yeah. And I mean, it, it happens all the time. I remember I'm, I'm going to talk about an ex-boyfriend and let's hope he's not listening, but we don't really talk anymore anyway. But one of my first (laughs) loves ever, and I was 16 and I thought we were going to, well, I didn't believe in marriage, but we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. And we both thought we were adults because I, you know, graduated early and he got his GED and we were living on our own. (laughs) You know, we thought we were so grown up. My guess is that you graduated early. (laughs) Because you skipped grades. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, yeah. and that maybe he was like, I don't want to go to high school anymore. <laughs> yeah. Did you get Probably. your ID? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah, I can yeah. somewhere here. Probably. I got it somewhere. <laughs> don't worry about it. Let's make it out. And I remember Who's it being asking? so romantic that he gave me his, you know, his his crucifix that his parents gave him for confirmation. And he had drilled a hole in the bottom. And I used to wear his upside down crucifix. And we like really bonded over being atheists. And 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 we, we thought we knew what was up. And and I mean I I still feel that way. I just don't wear it on my sleep. Now it's been replaced by my flying spaghetti monster necklace. I don't really wear the upside <laughs> cross anymore. Um, but I remember one time talking to him on Facebook, like years after we had had a pretty painful breakup, and seeing that his status said, you know, political or whatever, moderate. And then it said religion, Christian other. And I was like, not you, you know? And I, <laughs> I remember messaging him and I go, you're Christian? What the hell? And he was like, listen, Kara, like we all knew everything when we were 16. Come on, grow up. And I was like, oh, I get it. Your girlfriend's Christian. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go over very yeah, well. Yeah. But and it, it floored me because he, not him. You yeah. know what I mean? And it still like kind of breaks my heart to feel like we lost one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does feel weird. It's like you hear an old friend just go, well, thank the Lord. You're like, well, uh, what? Yeah. You know, I don't, I, I guess I don't really, um, I don't know. I, I, I sort of feel like, uh, like getting through life is fucking tough and it's it challenging. And, you know, we sometimes we just need something to hold on to. And so, if, so even though I'm not religious at all. Uh, like I said, I do have friends who are who are very you know spiritual or religious, and they 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 do believe. I don't know if they believe in like bearded God, but they believe in something. Sure. And um and I'm fine with it. And I'm like, hey, great. You know, if that works for you, if that if that gets you up, you're a good person, mm-hmm. and you're nice to people, and you wanna you know you wanna make the world a better place. Fucking great. You, no one says you have to. Everyone has to be a scientist. Yeah. So uh, you yeah, know, I agree I don't, with that. I don't really have a problem. You know, I'm I'm one of those like, yeah, believe whatever you know, believe whatever you want to believe to yeah. kind of get get through the day. I don't understand it, um, but that doesn't mean that I think it's you know, I don't think it's wrong. I just think everyone kind of has their own. Interesting. It would be interesting to find out. I would love to see the data points though on the um, uh, go, taking it back to the physiological map of, you know, of very religious and and non-religious brains. Mm -hmm. I would love to see 
if there are if there are you know chemical differences. Yeah. It's I mean, it's a hot new area of research, and I honestly probably couldn't speak to it with any authority, but there are some great authors that are that are writing about this right now. And um uh, Sam Harris is one of them. He's he's one of kind of the big three atheist authors, and he's also a neuroscientist. The so guy who won Star Search in the eighties? <laughs> wow. No, I don't think so. <laughs> That's a deep cut, Chris. <laughs> Sam, you don't Harris Sam wrote, Harris from the eighties? He wrote Letter to a Christian Nation. You guys know uh, that <laughs> Sam Harris in the eighties, there was a guy who like <laughs> met mega one star search. Like he won <laughs> So many weeks in a row, and he had this like it's like the Ken Jennings of stars. Yes, yeah. he, had this, he had this '80s like poofy mullet, and he would do this thing with his voice. Where I mean, he had a nice voice. I'm sure he's on. I'm sure he's on YouTube. But he would he would do these kind of flourishes where he'd sing like uh, I can't believe no one else. Well, you guys are younger than I am, but he would be like. Uh, like somewhere over the rainbow, and at the end, it'd be like, "Why, oh, why can't I over the rainbow?" Oh, and like people would familiar. fucking shit their pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they knew it was coming. Sam Harris receives yeah. four stars. <laughs> so I, I guess, I guess my point is that guy probably didn't go on to. I don't think that's the same. Thing okay, there. okay, but sorry. What if it <laughs> but what if it were? I know that what a great story that would be. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to derail you, but that just took me back. No, no, no. Yep. But yeah, I think there, there are a lot of kind of, uh, not a lot, but I do think it's a, a new area of research that's really interesting to people. People look for the God spot, which, uh, you know, obviously sure. I think it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. There are some things that people see that in highly religious people are different the than Higgs others. The Higgs boson of the brain. Exactly. You know, um, the G spot. of. Uh, of oh, um, the G spot. The G The God spot. Yeah. <laughs> what? I didn't even put that I together. can never find it, right, fellas? You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, I know um, exactly what I'm, it is. I'm, I'm empirical, and if I can't find the G-spot, it must not exist. <laughs> you know there's so much back and forth about whether or not the G-spot exists. I know right? there like, is. all in the science, you know. What uh, do you think? Well, come on. I know I have a G-spot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know I do. Yeah, you do. My girlfriend doesn't, though. Aww. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's way up in there, man. I can't even I can't even reach that shit. It's way up in there. It's like you know, like a shelf in your closet. And you're like, oh, I, I hid some money back up in there, but I just can't you reach like it. Your money in your shelf in your closet? Yeah, that's where the, that's where I put that's where I put my money, my G's. <laughs> can't find my around. G's. Yeah, that's my G's spot. Yeah, uh, is, that, is that Cosby? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Can't ever find a G-spot. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> track over here in the boot. No, it's not right there. <laughs> and I was trying to melt this pudding pop up in, in the G-spot. <laughs> and I couldn't. <laughs> By the way, um, how long have we been at this and no dick jokes? That was just one of them. That was a vagina joke. Well, it was yeah. a vagina joke. Yeah. I know. You guys I are promised, keeping it clean. I promised Kara no, dick think... jokes. Well, it's just we were all talking so smart, or at least trying, like it just felt kind of. Which rude. sounds even better when you're like, we were just talking so smart. Well, that's how I, dude. Every, especially near Chris is one of my best friends, and like just every time I start talking serious around him, and 
now that you're in the room, I just feel like I'm gonna. I'm about to just see. I'm stuttering now. Oh. Like I just, I can't. I'm not good around smart people. Because well, I'm, like I'm like, I'm a smart guy, but I'm not intelligent. That's the difference. <laughs> wait, wait. What? What's the difference between smart and intelligent? Uh, smart is uh, you faking intelligence. I see. Yes. I see. <laughs> and I can fake it. Well, I was like talking to gadgets with this guy the other day, and I was just like, I threw out ISO, and he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, you know. And he goes on. And I'm just going, uh, 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 just like now. There's so many terms i have no idea oh, no. what you guys have said oh. uh what is stars <laughs> it's uh with a z it's a channel uh ah. where they party show down yeah, well the oh end God, and um and the, so good and the gladiator show don't watch that oh, oh. party gladiators yep. <laughs> party gladiators um yeah no i no, i don't i don't feel very smart i just i like smart people yeah. I feel like, you know, you know things though. I think well, that's how most smart people feel. I think that a lot of smart people kind of feel like hacks half the time. They feel like, "Oh, there's so much more I could know and I'm always wanting to learn more." And and they want to surround themselves with smart people because they don't kind of feel as smart as they want to. Yeah, it's always the awareness, I think, when it's a uh, what's it? Yeah, I'm smart, but I know this other person mm-hmm. that makes me look like well, an I know, idiot. Well, I know I know I'm not dumb. I mean, like I know some stuff. You know, but then, (laughs) but you know, you're clearly very smart. Like my friend Adam Rogers, who's my editor at Wired Magazine, is one of the smartest people I know. Hodgman is, uh, you know, like you you get around really smart people, or Baratunde Thurston, who is a fucking genius. Yeah. And then you're just like, I don't know anything about anything. (laughs) Well, and I think there's different there's different ways to be intelligent too. Like I like to say, thank you. No, no, I mean, like I say this about myself all the time. I don't really know a lot of. Stuff. Like I have a really terrible memory, but I, I, I have a skill at figuring things out. Like I can, I can look certain things up and I can connect dots in a certain way that I can start to envision things in a way that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think one of the things that I always try to bring to the table as a teacher is working with my students. And when I see them get stumped about something is trying to figure out what is it that's not clicking and what aren't they getting and how can we put them in the problem, you know? like So you yell at them because that... Just, yeah, I'm yeah. just like, get it. Why don't you get it? Like when you're playing like Pictionary or something, it's like, it's a sock. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> It's a sock. It's, uh, yeah, it really, it really it's is finding those... Uh, God damn it. It really is finding those connective tissue touch points and try... I mean, you sort of do the same thing in comedy where you, you, you take, you take these kind of disparate concepts and you try to relate them to I mean I, I'm I'm not trying to say that comedy is like science, but no, it I, is. But that's how we think. I mean, when it comes down to it, that's the newer understanding of how our brains work. It's not about just random tidbits that are just like shoved in our ears and stay in there, and you don't want to let them fall back out of your head. It's it's that you know when we experience something, we read something, we learn something, we hear something. Unless we can connect it to something else that we have a schema for, something else that's already there, it's probably just gonna fall away yeah. you know the, the more that we can have this connective tissue the more that things are going to make sense to us and that way when when we hear something and it, it'll remind us of something else and that'll remind us of something else and eventually we might get to the answer mm-hmm. but if you, it, very few people have the skill to be able to just have that kind of disparate recall or be able to have you know words on a page memorized that they can draw up from it. That's kind of an autistic savantish kind of what, 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 are the, what are the actual uh, what are the actual numbers on you know how people always say like 
oh, we only use 3% of our brains, or we only use 10% of our brains, and we're not real, we don't have yeah. our full capacity, like, what is any of that? came from. Like, you know, we use all of our brains. We just don't, we, you, we don't use it all at the same time. That's called mm. a seizure. Like, that's dangerous. Oh, shit. Yeah, 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 you, don't, you don't want that. Um, but, but yeah. We <laughs> Some use- guy sees it up. he sure is using all of his brains. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's what was the uh, from uh, Defending Your Life? Uh, 3%, well, yeah, where he says, uh, it's Rip Torn, where he's like, yeah. the whole thing, is the whole idea is to get smarter, like, I use 47% of my brain. Yeah. How much do you think you use? Yeah. Uh, 41%? <laughs> Three. Yeah, yeah. What? Three? Three. I also love the idea that like the the more active your brain is, the smarter, uh, the more you use your brain, the more you understand tastes better. It's like all the smart people eat a completely different thing. In that movie, Defending Your Life. Can I just yeah. tell you something, yeah. though? I am over people talking about being super tasters to sound smarter. Like when people are like, <laughs> you know, like when someone's like, I'm just a super taster. Like I, I when I taste something, I really taste like, okay, how do compared to what? How do you know that? You have uh, more taste buds per like square centimeter or whatever uh, on your tongue. So, so we do actually when in, in like in entry bio lab, like bio 101, we do a, uh, a genetics lab and we look at all the different features to see what's dominant what's recessive in terms of like specific traits so like if you clasp your hands together or if your left thumb is on top that's a dominant trait if your right thumb's on top that's a recessive trait oh, or, shit. dominant left yeah. hand but I'm right handed yeah, yeah me too yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, and if you have a widow's peak or mid digital hair, and one of them is we have these strips of paper, like oh god, I'm not even going to remember what they're called, like uh, sodium benzoate and thioria and PTC, which stands for something, and you taste them. And then there's control paper, which just has no chemicals on it, and super tasters can taste those strips, and uh, non tasters can't. PTC so- stands for pretty thick cock. I just want to give you your dick <laughs> joke. Just want to give it to you. Go ahead. So, what's I can, the, yeah, what's I can taste thing? pretty thick cock. So I am. <laughs> let's let's pause while every guy listening turns it off for just a couple minutes. Just turns off the. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just need yeah. a minute. I need a minute to collect myself. I am in public. Honey, what are you doing in there? I'm fine. Please, listen to that nerdy comic book. While they're just while they're just looking up pictures of care and being like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> <laughs> that hot girl just said that. What's that? Uh, what's that thing? It's like a certain, like a nut or something like that, where you can you eat it and it changes your taste buds. I have no idea. Yeah, there's some. There's like parties now that people have where it's you you eat this uh, some kind of seed it's like or acid nut for your tongue, and it just it changes everything. Like sweet things taste bitter, bitter Weird. things taste I don't want sweet. That. that sounds awful. And it lasts. I like would three probably hours. have such an anxiety attack if that happened because it, my, it, I would be like my brain's not working yeah. properly. Yeah, that that's what it does. Too it just crosses everything. I don't yeah. like it. I don't need that. It's been too long. Yeah, yeah. It's like looking in your eyeballs that's in a mirror you, when you're on acid. That's something you could do bad and be idea. like, this was Doing fun. Doing many things on acid is a bad idea. That's true. There's many, many things that don't make sense when you're on acid. Laughing on acid, that's pretty good. That's though. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good one. So how long have you been working at the at the HuffPo? So I started um, um, at the Huffington Post uh, in October. Oh, wait. back Backtrack. Mm-hmm. I interrupted you, so you didn't finish your thought about super tasting and, and genetics oh, and, and your biology and, 101. I, apparently, I am a super taster. Me, me, me. Really? Um, but just because I can taste those those papers, so I think it's like there's there's certain chemicals that I can perceive that non super tasters can't. Mm-hmm. So, what's and your favorite so, food? Um, what is Pizza? my favorite food? You know, I just right before we came here, I had comfort food um, with my friend Michael at Barney's Beanery. Oh. And like my favorite thing lately, when I'm not feeling well and I want comfort food, is it's the weirdest thing is a cup of chili and a half order French toast. Well, let me ask you, Kara. Kara, <laughs> what is your favorite tasting emotion? 
I I like Sunday? despondency <laughs> and vampires. Can I tell you a weird turn on of mine Please? while we're on this topic? This is the weirdest thing. I was just talking about this with a friend the other day. I'm very turned on by left-handedness. Left-handedness? What is that? Is that like the weirdest thing? I had I had three girlfriends in a row, all of them left-handed. Really? That, that was hot to you, right? I just like, thought, yeah, something it was, it's, it's something because it. it's like foreign. Yeah, to maybe me, that's you why know? it's like you know, it's like you see, you get to see them use their left hand more, and you're like, oh, look at that. Do you know crazy. what it is? It's I think it's I think it's rebellious. I think it there's a little. It's I think it's it feels innately wrong. Like the word sinister, which is the Latin word for left. Yeah. And the word sinister, you know, like means some, like obviously means sinister. Yeah. But it, oh, but it literally means like from the left side. And it's so, so wrong. I think, right. I think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think there's something like, oh, that there's because it's because it's it's not an anomaly, but it's just not super super common mm-hmm. that yeah. there's something that's a little rare and dangerous about and there's it. Something kind of weirdly, I associate it with like sexy nerdy guys. I don't know. It's like a nerdy sex. But Matt Myra wasn't here. The other the guy in the podcast is He's is left handed. Yep. Yep. I always wanted to be left-handed because I thought I'd be cooler, but I'm just not. I am just fucking right-handed. I had a fantasy of being ambidextrous. I used to try and force myself into being uh, able to write with uh, both both hands. It's hard. Yeah. 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 At the same time, too. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's weird. I would end up just writing right into each other. It would just be gibberish. (laughs) I wanted to write with my feet so I could fuck a chimp. (laughs) (laughs) So they would see me and be like, "Hey, nice, nice footmanship." Who was that guy? A massive beard. It's the guy. I, I don't know what he does here. But There's I a see guy with a time. giant beard that just walked and by. A tiny, tiny backpack. And tiny backpack. <laughs> turban. He wears turban. sweatpants a lot. I know that. Yeah. yeah I notice him. Big, every day. big old, big old white guy. Yeah. yeah. Like Jerry Garcia kind of looking guy. Yeah. 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 Um, so okay. So HuffPo, you've been there how long? Yeah. So I started the Huffington Post um, in October, and I was hired on before we had a science section. So I started my column, which we took the name from the pilot we were talking about earlier. Talk nerdy to me, and I, I do a video series. I also do some written pieces that accompany it. And um, uh, I, we didn't have a section. I was kind of living all over the the site in education and tech and green and whatever. And then finally in January, we launched HuffPost Science. Mm-hmm. So that's where my column lives now. And I have a nice little family in HuffPost Science and, and work well together. I've got some, I've got one person that I work with in LA and the rest of my team is in New York. And where do you, like I, one of my RSS feeds is Science Daily. Mm-hmm. Which I love, but at the same time, some days I can't look at it because I'm just like, you just read all the column, all the articles, and you're like, cancer, 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 cancer. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm good. It's, there's so much biomedical science in all of this, and you know what? Since I am a correspondent, that's my title. I'm the science correspondent, and I do this video series. I have a lot of freedom to kind of pick things that are really interesting to me to talk about. And when I meet really interesting authors or scientists, and I want to know about what they're studying, I can do videos with them. My editor obviously has a tough job because his job is to figure out what goes on the page every day. Oh, wow, yeah. And um, I'm sure he has a million RSS feeds that he curates and stuff. But I kind of dropped my reader and I just started using Twitter, honestly, because I have a very well-curated group of people on Twitter that are – a lot of them are science writers and and scientists that are very um, active on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And – you know, I really see what's in the news just by what people are tweeting every day. I go to HuffPost Science a lot. They they usually have some <laughs> some of the best uh, astronomy pictures. Oh uh, yeah, they're like it's just pretty focused. Like today, they had a guy on a space station took a picture of San Francisco, and there was like no clouds above it. It was great. Yeah, that's amazing. I was yeah. just there yesterday. San I'll be Francisco. There oh yay! <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I love the uh, Phil Plate, bad astronomer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Always links to some. His Google Plus account is just yeah. It just so many wonderful uh, astronomy pictures. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I follow Discovery News on uh, Tumblr. That's a good, that's a nice mm-hmm. feed. Yeah. Yeah. So with with science, is are you, is it just sort of is it, you know, are you all encompassing science or I mean, you obviously have particular fields that you're interested in. I do. You know, I um I try to be as broad as I can be. So if something strikes my fancy, I want to cover it. And I've done pieces about you know anywhere from a mission to Mars to space junk to animal research to you know anti-evolution um uh bills that were recently passed in tennessee um so but but my my background is neuroscience so what did tennessee do that's where i'm from i know dude it's like really bad what happened i did a video and then i did a follow-up piece you should watch it it's awful fuck yeah Uh, yeah (laughs) are we we going back to scopes yeah exactly that was kind of the scopes revisited that was i think my title (laughs) it was it's worse give me that old time religion <laughs> Give me that old I got a weird scope of religion growing up in Hawaii because they also make you take Hawaiian history, which they talk about all these people that oh, uh, were. Uh, that's interesting. Though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, I like that. Yeah, it's neat. I mean, you get to le- you learn within the history classes there about mm. you know Pono and Lono and Pele and you know Pele, all the different. Uh, Pele's tears. Yes, and yeah. Pele is uh, <laughs> the goddess of fire. Yeah, those little, little lava droplets, right? Or her yeah. tears. Yeah, yeah. And there's her hair too. As a different. And when she gets angry. Eruption. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, you know, when the uh, the first uh, white people came to Hawaii, they thought uh, Captain Cook was uh, the god Lono because he just didn't look like anything they'd ever seen. Oh. And they're like, well, and he came from the ocean out of nowhere. So they're like, oh, that's that's our god. It's like C-3PO with an Ewok on, on the forest moon of Endor. Yes, exactly. Like yeah. That. Same exact thing. Yeah, except with, uh, I think, more Ewoks died than Hawaiians. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, oh. They, yeah. oh, damn you, Imperial soldiers. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that um, probably my pet interests are brain and behavior, um, evolution, education, science education in this country, and STEM, you know, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, and trying to get more uh, women involved in STEM fields, trying to get more minorities involved in STEM fields. And really, you know, I try to do as much work as I can with, you know, advocacy, um, and, and reaching out because I'm very nervous about the future of our country when we have these efforts in, in some of these southern states that are very anti-science efforts. Because I, I firmly believe that the economy depends fundamentally and, and our prosperity and our comfort you know, as citizens depends fundamentally on our ability to, to have good science and good scientists coming out of our school system. So... Right, That's and how and how are you how are you able to how are you doing that? Um, you know, I I am involved as often as I can when groups will come out to me. Um, you know, I'm really really fresh and young in my career, and like I said, I just started at Huffington Post in in October, and I just kind of started writing for a living. Which You're is gonna new. make it <laughs> after all. Um, but but I've had a couple of opportunities to speak at different conferences and um, different conventions, and also to I'm gonna be. Um, 
a speaker, I think coming up this month, actually, this coming month for um, this group called Let's, which is Let's Erase the Stigma, because I did a piece about two months ago when I did a month on mental health where I talked about my own kind of personal struggles with depression. And I talked about uh, the fact that I take antidepressants and I really wanted to open up the conversation and kind of break through the stigma with that. And a group of young people kind of came to me and said, we watched your video and it really inspired us. And we have this group that's all about it, taking the stigma away. And so they asked me to speak at, at their kind of youth rally which i think is really cool so it is weird to have the acronym be the first letter of the acronym <laughs> because then it just creates this constant Russian well doll of, kind yeah, of, yeah. Like just, they're just mirror nested Let, let's are always nested in the l yeah. just as yeah. far down as you can go and that freaks me out a little bit but i love the idea behind sure. what, what, what what you're saying um yeah the the antidepressant issue is really interesting you know obviously i have friends who are in antidepressants mm -hmm. but we I think about it all the time we the, really yeah yeah a lot well but and we certainly um yeah, but we certainly overprescribe medication in this country. We definitely over because the pharmaceutical medication. industry, and not to sound like a crazy hippie, it just it's just so fucking much money. No, I, I completely agree. And that's where I think that kind of a liberal versus conservative mind thing comes in. Like I was talking to Chris Mooney about is the nuance versus the black and white. And I think what's dangerous a lot of times when we start to talk about these issues is that people want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And then they're not even thinking about all of the people whose lives were saved from these things. And so it is a very gray area because it, they're definitely overprescribed. And they're definitely kids who are taking, you know, Ritalin who shouldn't be taking Ritalin. And they're, but they're also schizophrenics who are taking Haldol who wouldn't be able to function mm -hmm. in society without it. And of course. I can I mean I can't say with hundred percent assurance, but I, I personally think that I'm here right now because I took antidepressants. I don't know if you know, because a lot of people talk about depression, like it it, it has the potential to to be, you know, a, a fatal illness for yeah, some people. I have a couple friends commit suicide because they got yeah. off meds too it, quickly. But, yeah. I, but I've known people who committed suicide because they got on the wrong meds. Well, Whoa. and that's 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 a danger of not having good doctors. I mean, honestly, it's about and that's it's it's really difficult because people we're not educated in this country and we don't really have the tools to kind of take. Um, take our own health care into our hands. Be, I think because of the way that the insurance um, you know, system is, is structured, because of the way that the pharmaceutical companies have such a stranglehold and doctors are pushing, they're not pushing the drugs that are necessarily going to be the helpful drugs. They're pushing the drugs that are, you know, that still have um, a patent. They're pushing the drugs that the, the drug reps are asking them to push so that they can, you know, go sailing in the summer or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And that's horribly dangerous. I mean, we're the only developed country that allows drug advertisements like it, it it it's kind of an not kind of it's an immoral practice but to be i able want to, to climb to the top drugs. of that mountain yeah <laughs> i want to buy work with I your wanna, genital herpes I wanna <laughs> buy yeah, you're right, you're right. damn it yeah. <laughs> better not get these boys wet <laughs> better not go kayaking today yeah. um but uh do you think it, i wonder i wonder it's a sort of the chicken and the egg mm -hmm. thing but you know, most of my smarty pants nerdy friends suffer from depression, anxiety. I think it becomes from, you know, it's like smarter people tend to be hyper self-aware. They tend to deconstruct things. Could they be tend part to, of it, yeah. You know, is it, you know, how related are those things? And and are you are you okay with it? Would you rather not suffer all that stuff if it meant that you couldn't be smarter? Ooh, that's Would you rather question. be happy or smart? Yeah, and, and, right? and, and, like, and that, and I don't want anyone to be like, "We well, can't be both." I'm not no, saying you can't but be like both. I'm fully ignorant or yeah. you know, depressively yeah. intelligent. Um, I'd rather know things than be happy. I think also because I've struggled with depression for so long. I mean, I take meds and they don't make me happy. They just make me less 
horribly sad. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, that's really what the situation is for most people who are who deal with depression and are on antidepressants. They're not like cured and like running around smiling all the yeah. time. They're well, just less sad. I had a I had a girlfriend who went on Lexapro, mm -hmm. which is anti-anxiety, I okay. believe, but it is an antidepressant as well. And the uh, it, the differences were night and day. Yeah, like uh, we were getting into fights all the time. It was just uh, it was real bad. And she went on that stuff, and it was just like I was and like, oh my god, it's yeah. like a whole new like. And I, I I think I fell in love with science that more than her at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you know, I was actually talking to um, to a, a fellow science writer the other day, and I was telling her a little bit about my past and, and somehow we got on the topic of depression and she was like, Oh honey, you're a science writer. We're all depressed. Mm. Uh. Like we write about life and we try to keep our eyes open about reality. And I mean, I wonder if it's the same for people who write about politics or for people who write about, um, international issues, you know, world issues for people who are working in third world country. You know, it's, it's very difficult, I think, to keep your eyes open to some of the rough shit that happens in this world and not sure. feel a little sad. But I do think that there are two different types of sadness. I think that there's sadness that, that you can handle and there's a depression that goes beyond being sad that you cannot control and sure. that starts to invade your ability to be functional. Right. And, and I, and there are definitely neurological correlates. Like we, we know that our, you know, our brains are different. We know that our neurochemistry is different. And so uh, responsible, I think, um, treatment for mental illness, it, it curbs the symptoms so that somebody can become functional. Sure. It's not like a, like a, I, you're cured. And yeah. now, you know, it's like, that's, that's living with it. Kind of, yeah. It's, it's living with it, yeah. but it, in, in such a way that you can, you can live. Yeah. Which is important. Some well, say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Others yeah. can't say. <laughs> <laughs> they should take the pills so that Too they late. can. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're also, you know, I, I, I find you to be like a really funny, you know, like you do seem to love comedy, and mm -hmm. you like, you know, um, did you ever want to pursue? Because you were very natural when we hosted that show together. Someone was, someone was like, yeah, Kara's never hosted a show before, and I it just. Totally prejudiced against you without even sure. knowing you. I was like, oh boy, this is going to be a fucking rough one. <laughs> and, uh, and it was really great. It was really like, oh wow, she actually, oh shit. Oh, it's, nice. a, it's a very rare quality for, it's not, it's not something everyone can do mm. easily. Um, did you ever, was performance or, you know, the, the arts, was that any part of your... Uh... You know, before I, um, before I decided to go into science, I was really afraid of science when I was in school and avoided it like the plague. And actually through my undergrad, I ended up getting that psychology degree, but I took the three minimum courses in science that you had to take. I took astronomy, oceanography, and... I say this a lot. I wanted to call it paleontology because it sounds cooler, but actually in the course guide, it was written as dinosaurs in all caps with an exclamation point. <laughs> I take that fucking class. Hell yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you for signing up for dinosaurs. Yeah, it was uh, awesome. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was my like avoidance of science as an undergrad. And I had no idea that I was going to go into the sciences. And I actually started um, college I went to the school that I went to, the University of North Texas, A, because it was only 45 minutes from home. And I was, you know, I don't know. I didn't want to write an essay. I remember that was huge. They didn't require an essay. Um, and B, because I wanted to major in vocal performance because all through, um, I think from the time I was a child all the way up through high school, I was in um, like a jazz ensemble and I was in the, you know, the chorus and you I scat? did all of that too. I was actually really bad at that. Really bad at scatting? Yeah. Give yeah. Us a little, you got to punch yourself in the head a few times. Yeah, I was give never it, that good at it. Give us a little jazz. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sure thing, Chris. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so that was, you know, that's why I went to school. That's what I wanted to study. And it's funny because I was always so scared when I went up to sing. And I've done it a million times back in the day. I don't, I don't really sing anymore. But I, I did it a million times. And every time I did it, I felt like I was going to poo in my pants. Like right before I started, you know, I'd get up in front of that microphone and I'd be so scared. And it was easier in front of a group of people I didn't know. But if I saw my family or my friends in the audience, I'd, oh, God, I can't do this. And I don't feel the same way when I've done things on television or like in podcasts like this or when I do my videos at work. And I think it's because I get to be me and I don't have to feel like I'm performing. Yeah. It's really easy for me to just engage. And, you know, I like to talk <laughs> and um, and just I get to be myself on TV when I'm on TV, which is like a dream you know I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not and so I don't have to feel this pressure of like am I going to do well it's like well if I suck at being myself that's a problem (laughs) yeah but you could totally be one of those like uh, you know like special interest stories like and then she slung a guitar over her back and drove around the country bringing science to the masses (laughs) this girl knows how to make science rock (laughs) oh I love that you know you just go sing (laughs) You just go sing science songs. Let's put our pitch together. We'll take it to the network. It'd be really fun. <laughs> yeah. It'd be super fun. So people can follow you at Cara Santa Maria mm-hmm. on Twitter, or they can uh, they can find you on the Huffington Post. Sure, if they uh, look up Talk Nerdy to Me. Talk Nerdy to Me. And um, and also, it is, it is interesting that, you know, you put yourself out there in this way knowing that a percentage of people are going to tell you that you're a piece of shit sure, sure. Um, for what you know just just for saying just for trying to expose you know things or understand the world yeah. in the way that you want to understand it well I grew up in Texas so I think I'm just kind of used to that <laughs> <laughs> like, are you are you, are, are you does oh, it yeah. just kind of roll off you when people like that or do you ever get engaged with it you know um, it, it depends I think if, if I feel like they're coming from left field and I feel like I'm not going to be able to get through to them I usually let it roll off of me it's it, I guess it frustrates me w- more when I feel like somebody is really intelligent and they're they're starting an argument about something and I'm like why don't you get this you yeah. know I feel like you could so understand where I'm coming from and and they're just being combative for the sake of being combative um, but you know what's funny is that a lot of the hate mail that I get is about my lip ring <laughs> it's not about what I say at all really? it's about how I look there's so many like you know th- that girl with the with the fish hook in her lip and all the tattoos. She doesn't she know she doesn't look professional. That's not the way a reporter should look. Oh wow! Right? It's weird. Yeah. And actually, weirdly, that shit gets to me more. I'm always like, am I getting too old for that? You know, like I'm almost <laughs> thirty and like I've got my lip here. No, but it is it is it is sort of like you know if you <laughs> if you lay out this really intricate argument mm-hmm. for something and then people like. Your hair's dumb. Yeah. What yeah. the fuck? Exactly. You didn't even. Yeah, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. So my hair is dumb. But there's a little bit going. Is it though? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it? You we'll can't help get it. Get to that in a minute. And yeah. so yeah. many people will comment about the title. They'll have so much to say about the headline, and it's like, did you fucking watch the video that I spent all these goddamn hours putting no, together? No, I make judgments based on morsels of information that I can piece together with pre-existing judgments. <laughs> I started writing my comment right when I saw it said video. Yeah. Vidi, no. Vidi, no. We didn't even see it. That's Vidi, right. Vidi, this. That is right. I am willfully ignorant, and I love it. Oh. America. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, and again, you know, I don't want to come down on, listen, I, I, again, everyone should believe what they, what they want to believe. It is interesting though, how, um, how religion and politics are so, 
um, just inextricably linked. Yes, yes, and um, and I think you see that a lot with the difference between uh, religion and science. Right. And, um, you know, it's, I agree with you. I think people should be able to believe whatever they want to believe, but the really great thing about science is that you don't have to believe it. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Until you discover something else Until, that's true. Yeah, it's, it's, we, we will adapt, but, you know, that's what, I think one of my commenters actually posted on one of my earliest pieces, and I don't know if it, this should be attributed to them or if somebody famous said it at some point, but they said believing in evolution or not believing in evolution is like not believing in the sun. It's still going to rise whether you believe in it or not. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it just is that way. You don't really have to believe What in are it. we evolving into, do you think? What's next? I don't know, that's such a fun question. I personally, and I know that this could get hairy and we could get into a big thing, um, but I personally don't think that we're evolving the same way that we used to. I think in many ways we've kind of decommissioned natural selection because we have so many, you remember from our pilot, sure. um, we talked about artificial selection, which is, you know, dogs are artificially selected because we choose which ones to breed with which ones for a specific outcome. Well, also chemicals, drugs, um, you know, yeah. environmental changes. Yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't see like diabetes, for example, getting out of the population because we can treat it now. There's no reason that somebody with diabetes would die. You know, we get to keep yeah. them alive and so therefore we're keeping those genes alive. And I think that it, there's so many things that we've been able to do to intervene. Of course, Natural selection is still happening, but not at any sort of extreme rate. We also protect ourselves from the environment. The reason that natural selection occurs is because certain organisms adapt to their environments and other ones can't adapt so quickly. But, you know, if we have an extreme environment, we just build a house around ourselves. Well, you I, know? I, like, I, there's so many I love, things we can do. I love the idea that we had to get to this point to make the next major leap in our evolution, which is that sort of the sort of singularity idea of like we're we're basically building we're building this construct that will sort of absorb our conscious our consciousness mm. and that you know we're not it's not that we're evolving physically we're evolving into this sort of weird digital consciousness. Yeah, and you know, yeah. one of the guys that was in the pilot with us, Jason Silva, um, along with Max Lugavere, but this is more, I think, Jason's bag. He is like a very kind of Kurzweilian futurist who's really into this idea of the singularity. And I've had some conversations with him and I think it's interesting. I also kind of think it's bullshit. Um, <laughs> I, I do think that as we move forward, we are going to see more technological advances. That, sure. You know, we're going to be improving, for example, the genome through technology or whatever the case may be. But I'm, I'm not looking forward to the big singularity the way that I think Raker as well is. I, I find it odd because the more we progress and the more we uh, get smarter and the scientists create more synthetic, uh, you know, foods mm -hmm. and and gases and, and just life. chemicals. We've yeah. made synthetic life. Synthetic life. But, Venter, yeah. but a lot of these things that we're Great making venue. is actually, you know, in turn killing us, like uh, mm -hmm. processed foods and, and stuff like that. And that's a weird thing, I think, of evolution. Like that we're evolving and we're creating these new things that we are able to uh, make now that we're smarter. But in the sense, it's also starting to kill us at the yeah, it's time. interesting when you look at like the evolution of the weapon. It kind of follows that too. Yeah. Like there was a time when we could kill one person, and there was a time when we could kill ten people, and then it turned into you know hundreds at a time. Yeah. And now we can blow out like whole cities. And um, and yeah, I mean that that's an interesting kind of I think ethical question in science is should we do science for the sake of doing science? And and I I personally think that we should. I think that if we can try something, we should do it. I think that obviously we need to have ethical guidelines around it. But but. Um, but there there does become a question, you know, if we yeah. can, should we? Because maybe something comes out of it that could be really harmful. That's like this true. H5N1 thing that, or H1N1. H1N1. H1N1, not H5N1, <laughs> um, that came about recently, you know, the re-engineered flu. And like, just because we could make it, why did we? And 
And isn't that like a very dangerous thing to unleash on the public? And obviously journalists love this shit because like it's really easy to fear monger with it. And I try to avoid that as often as possible. But um, but yeah, it's 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 a complicated question because the more yeah. we m the more we use science for technological reasons, for engineering purposes, the more we can make things that will potentially benefit us and the more we can make things that will potentially harm us. And also some things that benefit us are really fucking harmful to the environment or to other organisms. And the, we kind of don't turn, think about that. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Which will harm us later. Yes, but we exactly. are very short-sighted in this fucking country. Yeah. <laughs> very short-sighted. Yeah. And the weird thing is with, uh, you know, you talk about the, that ethics have to come into play when, uh, you know, moving forward in science. But uh, some people say that the ethics come from, uh, based on religion. Yeah, and some people just, do. Yeah, and then it gets and, all muddy again. And that goes back to Sam Harris, um, who recently wrote a book about morality well. and made an argument. <laughs> and he makes the argument that morality comes from from the brain, that it doesn't come from religion at all, and that yeah. we would have a, kind of arise at these moral statements yeah. completely independently of well, religion. Well, because, you know, we're all, yeah, for the most part, atheists, and, uh, you know, I'm not about to hurt or kill anybody, exactly. not because of damnation, just because that's a bummer move. Yeah, right. I agree. I feel yeah. like it, it wouldn't have taken God or a Bible, uh, you know, wouldn't have taken yeah. all of that to tell us, like, you don't want to slaughter the guy standing next to you. I think yeah. we would have figured that out on our own. I just don't know. want to do it because if it gave me a hard on, I'd be like, that's <laughs> it. Then, you know, then I'm, you find out? then I'm a Dexter. Then I'm a Dexter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm true. a fucking Dexter. Yeah. I just really want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Dexter, no. <laughs> I have to give you a code. <laughs> it's the worst James Remar ever. Get, we need to get a good James Remar impersonator in here. Uh, I'll, I'll, put, I'll make some calls. Okay, great. Uh, Kara Santa Maria, it is delightful to see you. And this was a wonderful conversation. And we'd love, we'll have you back on again. That'd be great. You know, so much we'll fun. have it soon. Uh, enjoy your burrito, everybody. Farts, farts, penis, penis. I just got to dumb it up for the listeners that may have gotten bored. That almost sounded like a, that you were going for some sort of a like a rhyme. Farts, Let, farts, penis, penis. Everybody touch my weenus. <laughs> like that's like a little kid's, <laughs> like but like a duck duck goose kind yeah. of a thing. Farts farts Farts, touch my weenus. <laughs> touch my weenus. Stop it, guys. Okay, you're out. Oh. <laughs> This episode of Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by GoToMyPC.com. Go there now, click the Try It Free button, and enter the promo code Nerdist for a special 30-day free trial just for Nerdist listeners. Let's go to MyPC.com. In 2001, less than a month after the 9-11 attacks, the U.S. and allied forces invaded Afghanistan. The goal was simple, hunt down al-Qaeda and its leader, Osama bin Laden, and unseat the Taliban government that sheltered him. But even though the Taliban was quickly removed, negotiating an end to the war turned out to be a much bigger challenge. Despite some of the world's best negotiators working tirelessly for peace, all sides were never able to come to a negotiated agreement. And in 2021, 20 years after being ousted from power, the Taliban took back control of Afghanistan. So why did some of the world's smartest and most experienced negotiators fail for 20 years to mediate a peace deal in Afghanistan? The Afghan Impasse, a special seven-episode edition of The Negotiators, a podcast from Doha Debates and Foreign Policy, looks back on the players, politics, and strategies that contributed to one of the biggest failures in modern peace negotiations. You can listen to The Negotiators, The Afghan Impasse, exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify.